and I, the problem is I don't have a huge impending offer from one of the one of the big French teams, so I'm really gonna have to start trying. Um, I like the idea of press and publishing a story though, and like doing the calm down celebration. <laughs> Welcome back to the Placeholder Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. We are halfway through the Dauphiné-ish. We're going to talk Dauphiné today. We're going to talk about Christophe Laporte. He's kind of a monster. We'll talk about Jonas Vingago and his time trial abilities. We're going to look a little bit ahead to the Tour de Suisse and, and maybe have a bit, of a, a bit of a spirited debate about whether some certain high-profile riders should go to the Tour de France. We're going to hear from Ian Trellor about a story he wrote this week, uh, kind of detailing a not particularly complicated, but kind of ingenious scam that a lot of cycling equipment buyers are currently being taken in by. We'll hear from Ian a little bit about that. Uh, I am going to make the case for a Luke Rowe fan club. Johnny is going to make the case for the opposite. Uh, And then we're going to chat a little bit about our upcoming special podcast, the Unchained Binge Pod, which I am quite excited about. Before we get into the rest of the show, though, I do need to remind everybody that this podcast is supported by all of you. It is supported by listeners. It is supported by members of escape collective and if you have not already joined you really should do so you should head over to escapecollective.com slash join we now have a monthly billing option 11.99 a month or if you want a bit of a discount you can still do the annual one if you want now i do need to spend another quick moment here and thank some of our lifetime members these are our biggest supporters. These folks helped us get off the ground back when we launched in March, and we really cannot thank them enough. So I'm going to actually thank them person by person as we go through here. So Danny Cohen, thank you, Danny, John Collins, Freddie Butcher, Christian Miller, and Eric Harvey, our lifetime members, five of many, and we really couldn't do this without you. So thank you so much for being a lifetime member of Escape Collective. If you are not already a member, escapecollective.com slash join. Let's get into today's show. Joining me today, Kit Nicholson, how are you? I'm all right, thank you. Welcome back, BBC. Johnny Long. Hello. Um, Freddie Butcher is possibly the best name of any of our members. Sounds like someone who... Walks up and down the east end of London, causing trouble. Freddie, uh, we know you're out there, so let us know if that is you. If that's an accurate description of you, <laughs> then uh, please do let us know, and maybe we'll get you on the show, because that sounds like a really interesting life. Also joining us today, Dane Cash, welcome back. Hey, Kelly. How you doing? I am doing really well. Uh, I'm sitting in my sitting in my childhood bedroom. In Burlington, Vermont. Nice. Uh, it is a different color now. Uh, the Ferrari and Lance Armstrong posters are off the wall. No, I uh, got thank, it. Th- I know. I, I I wonder if they're still around, like in a closet somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it's good to be home. I'm back in these East Coast. Uh, question, while. Kelly. Um, when you say Ferrari posters. Yeah. You, do you mean you had a poster <laughs> of Michele Ferrari? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually the shot. Um, it's that famous shot that Cycling News uses oh, all yeah. the time with Stephen Farrand in the background. 
Yeah. Awesome. No, that that is a deep inside bike journalism joke that I probably only that Dan and I got. Yeah. That was a good joke. <laughs> uh, no, I think I had an F40 on the wall. You know, it was probably left over from like when I was 10 and I just never removed it. Uh, yeah, had a, had a had a Lance poster, had a, had a whole bunch of cycling stuff up on the wall. I probably had like a, you know, Yaseba Baloki up there at some point, probably had an Ibon Mayo at some point. Um, but now I have uh, fish. I have a, a fish. I have fish on the walls. My parents have redecorated. <laughs> we have a number of fish, including one by my my grandfather, who was an artist. So, oh, nice. Uh, it's a it's a. Anyway, <laughs> why are we talking about this? I'm back in my childhood home. Behind the scenes. Uh, behind the scenes insight. Uh, but we have we have many things to talk about on today's podcast. So. I want to kick things off because we are right smack dab in the middle of the Dauphiné. We want to kick things off with a bit of an update there. Dane, where do things stand uh, after, we'll, we'll say after the time trial? Uh, there's a bunch of mountains this weekend, but we just had the big time trial. What's going on? Yeah, after the time trial, Mikkel Bjerg is your race leader. He won the time trial. Uh, by the way, that, that was his first ever World Tour win, I think. He's been really close. He's been knocking on the, the proverbial door for a while. Still only 24, but he's been around for a while. Uh, I think maybe more importantly is the fact that Jonas Vingago sort of rose to the top of the GC. Uh, he's now second overall, so it's two Danes at the top, which is always a good way to to run a bike race. Um, Vingago is 22 seconds clear of his nearest rival, and, and he's got a lot of time on uh, Adam Yates, who I think is the big... The big challenger there. Uh, so, yeah, after the TT, Vingago has has kind of cemented himself. We already knew he was the favorite, but uh, with only Bjerg standing between him and Yellow, I think it's it's looking good so far for Jonas Vingago. Uh, there's not a whole lot we can take out of a TT like this. And in particular, Johnny, you pointed out there's not a ton of TT kilometers in the Tour de France because, you know, the whole purpose of the Dauphiné is, is to extrapolate based off what has happened and look ahead to the, the impending Tour. Today's particular stage, maybe not as useful as it has been in previous years. Not to say that it's not useful at all in that extrapolation, but not as useful. Nonetheless, we can kind of we can kind of take a look. I think it is it is relevant that Jonas Vingago had a good day. He went out super, super, super hot. In fact, he was talking about this in the in sort of the post race interview. Uh, kind of faded in the middle, and then uh, to paraphrase him, his intent was to kind of ramp it up again at the end, but he had nothing to ramp it up with. He was he was a bit shot. Not super surprising. He's probably not quite at 100% just yet. More interesting to me was some of the riders who did quite poorly. Uh, Enric Maas did quite poorly. Mikael Landa did quite poorly. Egan Bernal probably had a day that he will simultaneously be happy and sad about. I don't know. Like, had a, had a, what was his actual time gap here? He, uh, Bernal was 2.37 down on Bjerg. Just behind, right. um, just behind Carapaz, who was two thirty three down. So a a simultaneously a good and a bad day, right? Like you know, for for a rider who is going to hopefully slowly make his bay, way back to being a Tour de France contender, I I don't we still don't know if that's ever going to be possible. Uh, you know, he was up there with riders like Carapaz, who did not hit a bus, uh, but not anywhere near Jonas Vingago and company. I think the the big thing for today's time trial is the fact that it was such a uh, power rider oriented time trial. There's a lot of descending, 
uh, which, you know, if you're good at TTs, you were going to do well today. I think that's why Mikkel Bjerg, who is just a pure TT guy, did so well. And the rest of the riders near the top, you don't have a whole lot of climbers, really. Uh, and if you just look around Bernal, where he finished, David Gaudu is right there with him. I mean, people were talking about him like a you know big big GC rider, and he's ahead of Richard Carapaz. He's this is not a surprise, but he's ahead of Mikel Landa. So I don't think he did poorly. I just think that anybody who is not a TT specialist was never going to do well today. And he's I would think he's got to be pretty happy. It's not he wasn't going to beat Jonas Vingago in this race, uh, but no. in general he's no. like as good as most of the other riders, sort of of a similar skill set. Although you know he's a better TTer than I think people give him credit for. Yeah, I, I I was pleased to see it. I guess the reason I bring him up, you know, even though there are probably actually there are definitely a number of, of riders who are going to factor probably more heavily in, in July is I think that we're all just sort of hoping and we're looking for indications that he is sort of trending in that direction. And, and perhaps this is one of the best that we've had, to be perfectly honest, uh, you know, in a TT that didn't really suit him to ride as well as riders like Carapaz, I think it's a it's it's solid. Yeah, and we pointed out it's there is uh, we have got a time trial in the Tour de France, but it's only twenty two kilometers, and a lot of it is quite steeply uphill. But there's still, by my reckoning, about fifteen kilometers that are flat or downhill, um, which is half of today's TT. So that is, I would, I mean, I, I suppose um, if you were to if they were to ride that time trial today, they might lose a minute ninety seconds. On Vingigo, who isn't going to be any slower on the uphill. It's not like in the past when we've had some GC riders who use the time trial to their benefit and suffer in the mountains. But then again, of course, we are a little way out, um, and uh, they've got a bit of time to work on that. Um, Shout out uh, Ben O'Connor, fifth on the day, tall, lanky fella, not traditionally an amazing time trialist, not a bad one, but not an amazing time trialist, to finish that high up and again he is headed to the tour de france in a couple of weeks here yeah i mean he was he was 41 seconds off of off of michael bergen and only with 30 ish 29 off of jonas vingago so in his sort of quest let's be honest probably quest for a podium that is a that is a very encouraging ride from ben o'connor and you had jai henley finish high up he's another small small guy who did much better than you know an Enrique Mass or or whoever. And you also had Jack Haig finishing in a similar time as well, who's come straight off the Giro into the Dauphiné, but then is not currently down to ride the Tour. So I don't know what's I don't know what's going on there. Um, but you know, fair play to still to still have the bones to to ride a good TT. He had a very disappointing Giro, didn't he? I mean, he had a lot of bad luck again. But yeah. um, I don't know. I'd be surprised to see him at the. Well, he'd, he'd be he'd, have, he'd be going with Lander, which would be interesting. But well, then I guess if, probably if he a good was on, I, yeah, probably a good idea at the minute. <laughs> well, that's also true. But Lander might get cross, and that's never a happy thing. <laughs> Lander might get cross is the most BBC yeah, that is BBC a very, thing you that said is a today. Very thing to say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, what were you going to say? <laughs> um, yeah. So. Uh, I was going to say, looking at those stats, I mean, obviously we all know that this um, Tour de France is very mountain heavy compared to what we're used to, and especially compared to the Giro this year. Um, So, and I was reading something yesterday about how 
Bingigo, the reason he's done so little racing and so much training to build a base is that they are going to have to go at it from week one. And it is, there are some brutal days from the very start. So they have to approach it differently. So I think today's time trial, although it is interesting to see a cluster really quite low down on what we might hope them to be, it's both maybe an indication of a preparation thing, um, you know, having to peak at a different time and having to peak in a different way um, to be consistent for that t three weeks. But also we've, as we saw last year, there is still quite a chasm between the likes of Vingigo and Pogacar. Um, and it's nice to see on your point, Kaylee, that O'Connor is closer than we might have imagined him being. Um, so, you know, an AGTR will look at that and go, okay, we've got to really go at this, um, and as will O'Connor. And there's a real opportunity to, I don't know, to have some spicy racing, because that's one thing that this route does demand is really spicy racing from the very beginning. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> Yeah, Ben O'Connor's had a fair amount of bad luck, I think, in his last couple attempts at, at the Tour de France, or specifically his last one. Uh, but there's no cobbles this year. There's no there's, there's some of the early kind of tricky stages are are absent from a sort of non physical perspective. Uh, those early stages are going to be very very hard. They are down in uh, a region of Spain and and southern France that there is no flat road anywhere. And they're going to be really difficult, but they're not going to be difficult in the same way that has tended to kind of trip Ben O'Connor up. So after after looking at him today, and I'm, I'm really intrigued to see how he rides this weekend in the higher mountains of the Dauphiné, but he did kind of, you know, he bumped himself up for me in terms of stepping into that kind of dark horse for a podium kind of, kind of slot. Another rider I think deserving of a shout out is Runa Herigotz, who was the unfortunate uh, breakaway rider who was caught with like i don't know a foot before the line it was a little more than that but it was like it was not very far from the line he was caught uh after a hard effort to try to stay clear of the sprinters uh and was was a bit of a heartbreaking finish for him but he then finished in the tt today he was like what was he seventh which is kind of amazing i mean that, that's a really strong ride from a, a guy who is yeah, definitely an up-and-comer. Had not done a whole lot yet. He's, I think, he won uh, the under-23 uh, Perry Tour a couple years ago, and and yeah, Intermarché I think has a good one with this with this guy. I think I gathered from USA that he's got a bit of the Belgian's curse, where he's been talked about a lot back home mm. as a kind of next big thing. So I've heard I'd heard a lot about him, and I wasn't sure exactly where from, but I think it's just kind of in the ether. He's also just sent his first tweet. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, which is very exciting, uh, and he responded to Cosmo on Instagram. Wow! Wow! Well, because I, I think Cosmo was was kind of like what, what is it? It was something about like why did you turn around and look or something like that? Like that could have been the difference between winning and losing. And he basically came in and was like, "Nah, bro, like it was fine." <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> that's, that's not what. That's not what lost yeah. me the bike race. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, also worth mentioning, everybody, is that Julian Alaphilippe won a stage of the Dauphiné, and he did so crossing the line, waving his hands down. Chill, everyone. Julian is back. We are here. We are here to fix the Tour de France. Don't worry about it. I'm here. Which is, frankly, it's, gen it's genuinely a very good sign. There's a bunch of stages at the beginning of the Tour de France. Again, all those really tricky 
kind of San Sebastian-like stages that, it, you know, four or five years ago, we would have been like, well, Julian will win at least one of those. There's like absolutely no question that Alaphilippe takes a stage, probably takes the yellow jersey at some point. I think, you know, up until this point, it had been a while since he'd won anything. He had that terrible crash at Liège last year. I think we'd kind of assume that he was, you know, maybe he was maybe he was done. Maybe he was close to done. But yeah, took a took a pretty difficult stage uh, at the Dauphiné this week and announced that, you know, I think his intention would be to be the old Julien Alaphilippe at, at the start of the Tour de France this year. Yeah, I think we should probably point out that he has... Well, he probably would say, and perhaps it's the reason for his celebration, um, he has won two races, and not insignificant races, since his crash. Um, they're not World Tour. But I think, so, uh, uh, although I have also used the words Alaphilippe is back um, in the past few days because of the stage on which he won, he, he's been subject to some, I don't know, punchy words, um, from, from a certain from team boss. Um, <laughs> You're joking. Certain, certain porn aficionado. I could see you searching for the right words there, Kaylee. <laughs> I think aficionado uh, is the right term, right? Yeah, connoisseur, maybe. Connoisseur, perhaps. Connoisseur. Yeah. Mm, it's worse. <laughs> it's worse. It's way worse. It's far worse. Uh, what, what, did, what, did, what did Lefebvre say? That he's got to. Basically, the gist was he's got to earn his paycheck. I think yeah. um, if you're being paid that much, you've got to. And he, he, I mean, he won. He won a race in at the Tour de Wallonie, a two, a, a second tier race, two pro. In pretty good company, in I think it was his first stage race after his crash. It was only a few months after after he came off so heavily at Liège, and then earlier this year, the classic Fonardesh, um, which is really hilly. A very you know, it's, if you look compare it to some of the stages of the. Early in the tour, it's perfect for him, and he beat Gadu, Skelmos, um, Felix Gold. He's on some flying form. Guillaume Martin, Rui Costa. Um, he's he is he has been doing some pretty damn good racing, but he had a point to prove, and that's I think what this kind of all the all the doubts have been banished, as well as any worries about form. I don't really love the term or the phrase "class is permanent." I think that that's a <laughs> uh, well. It's, it's false. It is, it is, it is uh, distinctly false. Uh, for example, I once dropped Francesco Moser, uh, <laughs> but also he's like seventy, and so class not fully permanent. I would say. Uh, you know, I think both of us in our prime, he would have had me by a little bit. So that that said. I think Julian Alphilippe is proof that that class lasts quite a long time, right? I don't think he's done. He's he's, he's you know he's not he's not that old. He's he can absolutely come back from the injuries that he had. He's proven that, and maybe maybe the Lefevre quotes are kind of a kick up the ass he needed. I still don't really understand that as a as a like motivational tactic. I, I was thinking about like the equivalent at Escape Collective would be like if I went onto Twitter and I was just like. You know, like Johnny Long. I mean, he just—he really. <laughs> he's not he's, published anything this week. He's, he hasn't published anything in like four days, and you know, he's he's still taking a paycheck. And I'm not sure. I'm just not sure. I'm not sure about Johnny Long and his dedication to to, <laughs> to the cause here. What like what kind of weird management style? Is- let's let's try it out. It's, 
I can tell you what it what it is. It's a drill sergeant. But why is it acceptable in, in Picture sports? Picture Lefebvre with one of those ranger hats from Full Metal Jacket. If, if Johnny doesn't write a banger in the next week and a half, we're going to have to have <laughs> real discussions about his contract for 2024. You can start screaming in his face and threatening to <laughs> push his head into a wall. And I, the, the problem is I don't have a huge impending offer from one of the, one of the big French teams. So I'm really going to have to start trying. Um, I like the idea of press and publishing a story, though, and like doing the calm down celebration. <laughs> <laughs> On the topic of celebrations, I, I don't know if class is, is or isn't permanent, but I do know that apparently early celebrations are. He was like, this is a writer who should have learned his lesson. Yeah, what is he doing? Multiple times. And he started. Nah, little, I love it. His little celebration was definitely early. And I'm, I'm watching. I kind of want him to win. I wanted to show he's back. And every time he wins, it's like he, there's the it, will they or won't they catch him at the line? I, I don't get. He doesn't learn. It was. He did have a, a good deal of space. I think Le, I, I, I was almost afraid Laporte was going to get past the day uh, on the first day. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely felt the same. I mean, that that straight up a head shot is a bit misleading. But yeah, I mean, I guess the opportunity to I don't know. Maybe he was sure, but he's been sure before. And he's been sure before. Out. I don't know. Yeah. What about if it's the Derek geification of bike racing, where he's just signed a big fat contract with Israel Premier Premier Tech? Is that they're still called Israel Premier Tech? Yeah. Um, and so second place obviously pays the big bucks. So he wants to prove that he can win, but then eases up, lets one person pass, and then boom, four years with Total Energies. You never know. <laughs> it's a crazy world we live in now. All right, we're gonna move on from Oliver Leap. Uh, I'm just glad he's back. Yeah. He's, he's he's he makes the tour way better when when he's on. So pleased that he's back. Moving on from the Dauphiné and from Alaphilippe, the the world's shortest Tour de Suisse preview. That's what I want from you, Dane. Who's going to be there? Why does it matter? I'll answer the second question first. It matters because the Dauphiné field is good, but doesn't have all of the big names. There are a few big names out there that that are not at the Dauphiné. Uh, and, and a handful of others at the Swiss. That's why it matters. And we, we're going to see more riders doing a tune-up. We're going to see a few riders who, uh, well, one in particular I'm thinking of, uh, we didn't get a chance to see finishing the Giro. Uh, yeah, who's going to be there? Well, Remco Evenepoel is going to be there. Uh, there's talk of Primus Roglic being there. By the time you listen to this podcast, you may know more than we know right now whether he's there or not. Uh, it's surprisingly, the start list is surprisingly uncertain, even though we're only a few days out. But well, Van Aert will be there, Tom Pidcock, uh, yeah, a couple of big names, and it's I think with the Tour de Romandie the the most the two most scenic races. So even if it's not good racing, you'll get to see some beautiful Swiss Alps. Well, that's exciting. If Roglic does go, and we hope he goes, that kind of brings me to the next topic that I wanted to dive into, which is our our former colleague, uh, good friend Andrew Hood over at fellow at fellow yes uh fellow 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 uh he made a he wrote a good story this week that was basically making the argument that both remco venipole and primos roglic should go to this tour de france do we agree strong agree i feel bad about saying it i do i think it would be great to see them both at the at the tour i think it would be great for to see what remco can do on a route that is more challenging than the Vuelta, I'll put it diplomatically. Because um, I think, 
We still haven't seen him doing the really horrible mountains consecutively or against a field that really pushed him more than Enric Mass tried to last autumn. And I want to see it. Even if that means... And actually, I think it would be quite good for him to go to the tour and be given a reality check. Either he'll be given a reality check or I will. But And I do believe he will contest the tour one day and probably win it. But he's got, I think he's got development to do um, to really contest those sort of horrible multiple mountain days, steep mountains against riders like Vingigo and Pogacar. The, the one concern was rushing him back to such a high level of racing so soon after COVID and like the effect that that can have with your long-term health and stuff, which is, which is fair enough. So I guess that will be, that's always the consideration. I'm half expecting, I think Hoodie alluded to this, that you know how with Mark Cavendish's inclusion in the tour, they like made it a whole big PR stunt and were like, oh, look at, look, when he's riding the tour. I mean, so maybe they would, they would do that with him. Um, I've put a tenner on him to win the tour at 60 to one. So I'm really hoping that, that it comes through. And um, with Roglic, I think, it would make more sense than Remco just because he's not got as much of a career left in him and is not like going to win the tour in the future. So you might as well chuck him in there. You never know what can happen. Like his luck's finally sort of changed this year with that Giro win. So maybe he somehow gets a yellow jersey as well. And then Giro tour double. Unreal. Yeah, there's that. But there's also the fact that Jumbo Visma might need him. Yeah, their lineup's a bit Price mad, is shattered it? again. And physically, yeah, yeah, it's looking at. But then again, I mean, we, you know, the whole the whole team is incredibly strong. Before the Giro, they reshuffled their team what three or four times because of COVID and crashes. Um, yeah, who knows what could happen between now and then? Um, yeah, I think I I would not be at all surprised. I I think there's the more chance that Roglic will go, and help Vinga go, and then the other. You could absolutely make the argument that Roglic is the reason why Vinga go won the last yeah. tour like and i don't even think it's that much of a stretch right if you particularly if you look at the quotes from pogacar that came out uh both after the stage and a little bit later talking about how he just like he didn't he doesn't think he ate enough and he made some mistakes there that was forced by the fact that he had to go so damn hard up the bottom of the glibier a ways away from the finish because of roglic right and yeah i i, I think it would be foolish not to take him uh, provided he's sort of like mentally ready to take on another grand tour, uh, but you know if if he's not there as a leader, that's a lot less stress, stress, stressful than than that Giro would have been anyway. I think they absolutely take him. I also just think I mean the Tour de France should have the biggest names. That's just that's that's what I think the sport wants, and it, it makes it so much easier to to bring on new fans when the world champion is also racing the biggest race. Or yeah, I, I think he's less likely than Roglic. Uh, when when Rogoch is is racing the biggest race, it's just better. Yeah, he might be a world champion next year as well, though, and it's a route that's is likely to suit him. I would that's, not be. I would. I would. Yeah, he's going to suit the Glasgow World Champ race for sure. But even if you go and you and you don't and like Remco doesn't have to compete yeah. for GC, you know, you've got Alaphilippe and everyone else there. You just go for a few stage wins. Like if you just say you just finish like ten minutes down before. I mean, then he'd be making an enemy of the French press as well for not respecting the race or some bollocks like that. <laughs> but um, but then you know, just go for a, go for a big stage or something like that. Like like Pickcock yeah, last year, like when he won that Abdu stage. Like there's so much pressure off now anytime he lines up for the tour because he won like one of the biggest stages you can ever win. Yeah, it's a 
very good point because they're not going to, if, if they take Evenepoel, they're not going to take Ilan van Wilder and, I don't know, Peter Seri as well to help him get a GC result, are they? They are taking a team that has Alaphilippe and Jakobsen as their chosen sons. Um, well, we think, you know, pending crashes or politics, I don't know. So it's not, it's not, he's not going to be equipped to do anything other than follow the wheels if he does go as, as a GC rider. Still should do it. I want both of them in it. I think, I think honestly, it's, stuff like this is, is part of the reason why I think thinking through sh- like shortening the Giro and the Vuelta so that they really don't have the same cachet as the Tour long-term would be good for the sport because you would you would coalesce every single big name of the Tour de France every single year because the Giro, the Giro would be very obviously the lesser. Now, the like RCS would never... Yeah, it'd be, it'd be good for the tour. It wouldn't. It wouldn't necessarily be good for everyone else. You just, I don't think but I think it'd be good for the spring season either. But I think it'd be good for the sport. I think it'd be good for the sport is, too. Is, is, I guess yeah. my, oh, what, to get more people. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. It just. It just. Anyway, we're not having the. We're not having the calendar conversation. We save that for November when we have nothing else to talk about. Uh, but I do like these whole these discussions where you end up with you know not all the best riders at the best race. I always think that that's that's unfortunate. Uh, I do want to I want to move us on. I want to move us on. Uh, we're we're gonna step away from this chat real quick and and step into a chat that I had earlier today with Ian Trellor, uh, one of our Australian editors, and Ian wrote this big story about scam, basically, uh, and in particular a a type of website that has popped up where the website looks real. It, it sort of has real products. It maybe has a slight discount on something. Some of the discounts are, are unbelievable, as you will find out if you read the story. But some of them are like, okay, you you know, you buy this part and it's an extra five percent off, and it seems very legitimate. You put in your credit card information. Information that credit card information goes into the ether. They take your money. They also take your information, and they will never send you a product. And he dug deep, 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 deep into this. Uh, found some answers as to where this sort of thing is coming from, but also just has sort of a broader, it's a broader piece about, I guess, like the dangers of the internet and, and uh, yeah, <laughs> and how important it is to be careful when you're you're buying bike parts. And so let's chat with Ian. So Ian, I was... I was cruising around the internet the other day, and I I was really interested in purchasing a brand new Specialized Diverge STR Expert, um, but unfortunately, I don't have the the required sixty eight hundred dollars. I I have I have ninety seven dollars and forty nine cents. Do you have anywhere that I could potentially pick up a, a new Specialized Diverge? Kaylee, have I got the website for you? <laughs> What what is this what is this website? So so you just put a big story up on uh up on the site this morning or overnight I guess for me and um wow it's 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 extensive it's kind of scary it's uh well it's lots of people losing lots of money to to people who are stealing it uh via I think this is kind of what hits home is kind of via their well, their love of cycling and also their love of a good deal, basically. So explain how you came across this. Yeah, I've been chipping away on this story for a good few months now. Um, occasionally getting distracted by other shiny things, but uh, I finally got it 
finished off. It's it's basically a story about how there is this vast network of scam websites that have popped up across the cycling industry and beyond. So it's it's not just cycling, it's brands like Puma and Adidas and really weird things like cat litter and uh, designer taps and, and stuff like that. So through a series of very specific targeted uh, Google AdWords and things like that, people are getting drawn to these websites that look legitimate enough and have a, a brand name on them, like Specialized, say, and a, a legitimate enough looking URL like bike-specialized.com, which is where you can find your $97.49 specialized, specialized Diverge. And people are spending money, not receiving counterfeit goods, which is an interesting twist because in, in the cycling industry, we're kind of used to counterfeits. Um, we're probably slightly less accustomed to people just stealing credit card details and running off with them. Um, but that's what's happening here. And it's happening at this enormous scale uh, over so many websites and so many different industries that it's it's quite a systemic problem. So let's kind of get back to the beginning of, of your reporting here. Uh, you got in touch with a fella, not actually named Paul, but we'll call him Paul for the purposes of this of this piece. And he kind of ran a bit of a a bait and switch, I guess. Although he, I guess he did actually lose ninety four dollars, didn't? No, he he did end uh, up getting but, it back, which is which is oh, good. good for Paul. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> but I I, <laughs> I came across that because he had been pointed to this website because his friends were looking for specialized tires, a particular model of tire. And the prices were reasonably enough priced, um, modest discounts. But then it wasn't just the tires that this website was selling. They were also selling bikes like Tarmacs and specialized Athoses and the, the Crux and the specialized Diverge STI expert. And the prices for them were not just a little bit off retail. They were ridiculously cheap, like $15,000 bikes for, for 95 bucks. So... Paul had, to me, it seems a similar curiosity to me to sort of poke the bear and try and figure out where things go and was smart enough to use a burner card number um, to complete a transaction and just see out of idle curiosity what showed up. Nothing ever did. Nothing ever was going to. Obviously, it seems pretty clear now. But what did happen was that he found a series of clues because the transaction did not go through as the fake specialized website, it went through as a thing called bestduka.com. Um, and from that clue, I've, I've spent a couple of months on the trail of these scammers to try and see how far I could get to identify them. How close did you get? Do we know? Oh, I mean, I, I sort of jumped around virtually most of the world. So bestduka.com... Uh, seemed to be in Tanzania, and more specifically than that, uh, I think I narrowed it down to a particular building in Dar es Salaam. But then from that, there was another another clue pointing off to a place in Melbourne, actually, in the, the same street that my aunt lives in, which was quite surreal. So I, I uh, went and spoke to them, and, and they were like, no, nobody, nobody has been at this address. So after after jumping between you know various clues in 
Malaysia and China and uh, France and Cote d'Ivoire and Tanzania, America, all over the place. I, I finally have narrowed it down with some help from uh, some professionals to China. But uh, beyond that, it's a very big country. And somewhere in that very big country, there's a network of very sophisticated scammers with thousands of websites that are tricking probably, you know, thousands more of people into spending money. So is the is the end goal here to steal the credit card number and then run it on a whole bunch of random things? I mean, you mentioned the fact that when when Paul put his fake number in, I think it, it also they attempted to run it for some furniture or something like that. Uh, is that like do they want the credit card number or are they after the ninety four dollars that you tried to spend on a specialized that didn't exist? I think it's probably a little bit of both. So I I think that when they get that initial ninety four dollars, then that's that's great because. Um, you know, in, in many cases, I think people are going to be a little bit too embarrassed to uh, make too much of a fuss about it. And they'll just be like, oh, OK, well, I've been an idiot and that money is gone. Either they are then selling those credit card details on the dark web, which is is what uh, Andrew Love, a guy that works in brand protection at Specialized, I was speaking to him and he theorized that that was what was happening. Um, or they're just running the transactions through to, to see what they can get. So in, in Paul's case, there were a, a couple of additional charges for DoorDash and for the Australian streaming service, stand.com.au. DoorDash. Do you know what DoorDash is? Do you have that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have DoorDash. I just think it's funny because they're just sitting there. They're like, oh, look, we got a new credit card. Let's get some lunch. <laughs> but you don't have stand.com.au, Australia's second or third favorite streaming service. <laughs> No, we do not. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I think that there's a number of different end goals, and there's probably a bunch of uh, different identifying information that they can, can get from it as well. It's in many ways kind of a, a cautionary tale about trust on the internet and what people are prepared to hand over and how willing people are to suspend their own disbelief when there's a impossibly good deal to be had. You spoke quite a bit with with Andrew Love, the the sort of head of cage matches, I think is the way that he put it uh, at Specialized. What is the what is the sort of full scope of this problem? It's it's tricky to quantify because, um, firstly, the the victimhood of it is difficult to quantify. With a fake Specialized helmet, for instance, uh, you can look at that and go, that is something that if someone crashes on it they will get killed. Um, with this, it's a little bit more nebulous because it's people losing money and that's that's really bad, but they're, they're not a potential victim in the same way and the fraud is a little bit more removed, I would say. Um, and also the, the people that are getting caught out by it are less likely to self-report because, as I, as I mentioned earlier, they're possibly embarrassed they're unlikely to go to Specialized and say, hey, I was trying to buy a tarmac for $95, what gives? I think that they're probably likely to feel that they're being a little bit sort of uh, 
at some level they'll understand that they are doing something that's maybe not quite kosher. So I I think that it's it's hard to put a number to how many people are getting ripped off. What is easier to quantify is the number of websites. So if you look through the websites, you can um, you can find certain key phrases on the website and then just search for that phrase. And one of the phrases that was on this initial specialized website was also used word for word on 350 other websites from all across any any possible industry. Another phrase that I found on another website was used for another three and a half thousand. So there's ballpark at least 4,000 that I know about websites by this same network of scammers that are using the same MO to swindle people out of their money. Those are kind of terrifying numbers. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I think it's easy enough to imagine that you won't get sucked in. But if you're looking for a super specific part that maybe specialized themselves don't carry anymore and you find a, a store that looks legitimate enough and has it for five bucks less than, than what you would expect, then I, I think you'll suspend that disbelief. Yeah, I think most of us have some sort of recent... The, the one that came up to mind for me, I recently had to buy a part for my Urban Aero cargo bike and uh, they don't have a lot of dealers in the US and so I essentially had to go to a foreign site. I ended up getting one from the Netherlands. Uh, but like, I, I don't really know how to confirm that a, a bike shop in Amsterdam actually exists, nor am I going to spend the time to do so before ordering a, a, a $14 part that I that I need, right? And it, it didn't occur to me at the time, but that was sort of the perfect instance where if they had if they had picked up on this sort of keyword that people were searching for, they could have they could have easily scammed me. There's 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 no question. I I would have been I would not have done the due diligence to make sure that my fourteen dollar part was actually coming from the right place, right? I'm not I'm not gonna as you put in the story, like I'm I'm not gonna go look up the address on on Google and and look at the storefront and make sure it's a it's a real place and things like that. So yeah, I think all of us probably have have I don't know have done that recently enough that you can kind of see yourself getting getting nabbed. You didn't really talk about this much in the story, but I'm gonna take it on a, a small bit of a tangent here, which is that uh, this particular type of scam and the rise of AI is a really horrifying combination to me. And I wonder what it's going to look like in the next couple years when essentially this entire process right now, at least they have to like manually skim something, manually recreate something. What what happens when instead of 300 of these, there's a hundred thousand because they've just been replicating themselves. Yeah, I <laughs> that's mean, just a com- that's just a terrifying. I feel like the internet is about to be an even more terrible place than it is today. Yeah, I there there have been a bunch of stories that I've worked on for Escape Collective where it has sort of reinforced to me that digital culture is not moving in a good direction. Like, there's Twitter hacks. I've I've done I think three stories about Twitter hacks of varying shades of terribleness and. There's misinformation and disinformation, and in this case, there's uh, quite quite sophisticated scamming that's going on. And I, I think that there probably is some level of automation that's happening for this. I would I would say that there's maybe oh, sure. maybe twenty yeah. specialized websites that I know about um, 
that have that have popped up and when you multiply that by a number of different brands and multiple different industries it's it's a pretty sobering picture did uh did andrew love from specialized did he, did he have any suggestions for consumers out there as to how to avoid this stuff like are there any sort of best practices when you're ordering a line other than just making sure that you know you only order from specializedbicycles.com or whatever the actual website is i think that uh it's easy enough to find that kind of advice pretty much anywhere like uh shimano australia pointed me to the australian consumer website which has a really helpful guide and I think that a lot of people understand deep down that those are things that they should be doing when they're they're shopping online. It's just that people don't because they're rushed or they see that there's a bargain to be had. So I, I think that part of the, the sense of despair in this story really is that it is sophisticated and you can get caught out and you can get caught out even when you know that this is something that's happening because because it's smart enough uh, or you're busy enough to, to get tricked by it. So I, I would say that you should check that there's a little padlock next to the URL and it's HTTPS that you should, if you've got the time, you should check that the addresses check out and it's not just some random house in, you know... <laughs> New York State or whatever, or a Costco in Indiana. But beyond that, I, I think that the the best option is is really shop at your local bike shop or shop from the brand themselves because then you at least know that uh, it, it might cost more, but you're not going to have to change your credit card. I, I, I am completely convinced that the technology coming in the coming sort of year or actually it's basically currently available probably just kind of still being they're still figuring out exactly how to use it is basically going to take this stuff and and multiply it by ten thousand, right in terms of just the, the sheer volume of of this crap that's out there and i wonder if there's going to be a bit of a sort of backlash to that from humanity in general right and, and if and if we do start to Wow, we start to push back, and we and like, is this a, is this a good thing for your local bike shop, right? If it, if if the internet gets to a place where so much of it is such garbage and is so much of it is trying to steal from you, is that a good thing for brick and mortar bike shops? Probably. And to that to that like along the same kind of lines, we always feel like here at, at Escape Collective that being human is is kind of an important piece of what we do, uh, and I think that that's going to be an increasingly important thing on the internet in general is essentially proving proving your humanity to customers because a lot of what's out there is already not really human and it's only about to get a heck of a lot worse so well let's cut it off there because we do want people to actually go read the story head over to escapecollective.com read ian's piece it is headlined cycling's biggest scam network is an impossible enemy go check it out and if you like stuff like this and you like the fact that there are actual human beings behind the stories and there's actual reporting happening and we look into the big important things and we send Ian to go do a couple months worth of research uh, into a $94 specialized diverge, <laughs> then you should probably sign up for Escape Collective. This is the sort of thing that you get for your 
membership dollars. You get us diving into stories like this. So if you haven't already, please go sign up, escapecollective.com slash join every single one of you. All right, Ian, thanks for popping on. Thank you. All right, I want to talk about Luke Rowe. Johnny has opinions. Um, I so I, I don't really know. I don't really know Luke Rowe. I, I like it all. Uh, I know him via. And part of the reason I don't know Luke Rowe is Luke Rowe has basically refused to do interviews for like eight years. Yeah. Like I literally don't. I can't remember ever seeing one. And he. he I don't know if that's. Few people have asked probably, but like I've asked on on the ground before in the last decade and been rebuffed. Uh, and basically been told Luke Rowe doesn't do interviews, which is just a wild stance to take as a professional cyclist. <laughs> but but this is part of the reason why I want to talk about him is I, I sort of appreciate that. Like, I appreciate the ability to pull that yeah. off, right? I'm sure that there are a lot of pro cyclists who would love to never give interviews, but they have to because it's their job. So somehow Luke Rowe has figured out how to, how to avoid this. Simultaneously, I feel like Luke Rowe might be kind of funny. And this is maybe where Johnny possibly disagree with me. <laughs> okay, this is this is also just making it so likely that we never get into from him. But you know what? Maybe sometimes you have to give up on your dreams. I don't think I don't think we were ever going to get one anyway. I got so, so like, close the other week, but yeah, carry on. Oh, you did? I got oh, so well, maybe close. We, maybe yeah. we should well, cut this off then. Maybe we should. Nah, cut this let's off. let's go for it. Let's go for it. We try a different tact. All right. <laughs> so, like, I just follow him on Instagram, right? And today he posted this random video of him he just like put his phone on the side of the road and then he stood next to his phone and as a group of what looked like it was like a bahrain rider and a couple other it was a bunch of other pro cyclists as they rode by he like jumped out and scared them and it was like a 20 second video and it was really dumb but it was also kind of hilarious (laughs) and it was just like very humanizing in some ways and so i what i want to what i what i want now is I want to talk to Lou Rowe about this. I want to talk about, like, is this... He also does the podcast uh, with, with Garrett Thomas, and that can be very humanizing, right? Is this all intentional? Is this a master plan on his part? Is he just in it for the bants? Like, what what is Luke Rowe's deal, is, is, my, is my question. Because he, he's a phenomenal bike rider, but he does a very sort of... Um, not behind the scenes kind of job, but like a he's a workhorse, right? He does he does very important things at very important times. He closes gaps in 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 crosswinds. He he does lots of pulling when pulling is is needed. But he doesn't do this sort of like big glamorous, you know, super domestique in the mountains kind of stuff. So he can kind of fly out of the radar because of that. And then he does funny Instagram things and a podcast and refuses to do interviews. And I'm just. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. Like he's just, I'm trying to like think of a good analogy here. Why I'm so fascinated by him, but I just am. Um, I'll try and arrive at an answer. First of all, the the video to me became much funnier when I found out when you clicked the tagged people and the people who's jumping out to scare were Garant Thomas, Liz, Lizzie Dynan, and Wout Poles. I just thought <laughs> yeah, that's a, a fantastic trio Great. to to have jumped out and scared. Um, yeah, I think it, I, I'm not going to say it's unfair that um, you describe him. I don't have a hatred for Luke Rowe. It probably primarily uh, comes from him refusing interviews, uh, which is completely personal. And like him just being funny on Instagram probably counts for a lot more in, objectively. 
I would say part of the reason why he probably doesn't care about interviews is because I think he's still only really riding for Geraint. I, I think he's made a few investments in his career that financially have him set up for life. Maybe there's a bit of jealousy there because I'll be working long and long until the this next century. And you're going to have to earn your paycheck too. I'm going to have to earn it. Yeah, Luke, Luke Rowe's never been told to... Well, he has it's because he earns it every year by you know winning grand tours but that's another thing um yeah i think they let the the for the the the, like the banter side of it for me i i it's not my it feels very sort of 2015 facebook like prank but he's like in his 30s that's that's like that's 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 fully on brand i feel like yeah but everyone's you know johnny not appreciating banter (laughs) yeah i've I don't know. There's just something about. I think also they. Yeah, I don't know. It's just uh, particular, maybe I need, to, I need to meet him. Of, of yeah, it's not. It's not to my taste. I, I I spent a solid close to a decade being very annoyed by the fact that like all I wanted was a goddamn quote about the crosswinds and I couldn't get one at the Tour de France. <laughs> like I, that was just like, come on, dude. And I spent a very long time being annoyed by that. But I think I've kind of come around. Yeah, I like, do respect like, that a lot. Like almost like appreciating the fact that he's managed to pull this off, that he's managed to avoid basically all of us for like the entirety I, of his career. I think it also comes from when he had that whole Twitter thing where everyone was getting on at him for using the like "divers okay" sign because it was problematic or something. And so I think as uh, soon as that happened, he was kind of like, "Screw everyone," which is probably fair enough. I can't yeah. remember exactly what that was all about, but um, he also sort of controls the whole narrative around him by by being like he he has a he's not like a quiet guy he has a podcast and he's active on social media so it's not like he yeah just just clever. doesn't say anything at all it's that he just doesn't talk to us he's just taking our business to, he's doing both yeah it's whatever it, exactly. we feel yeah we feel. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Our space is threatened. Yeah, fair enough. Anyway, I, I, I'm starting the Luke, Luke Rowe, the American chapter of the Luke Rowe fan club. Um, <laughs> Johnny's not invited. Then you might uh, this is like when you have American fan clubs of Premier League teams and they like gather like in midtown Manhattan on a Sunday morning to watch Premier like Everton versus West Brom. <laughs> and it's, it's a bit sinister. It's very weird. It's very weird. So yeah, it's just, you know, it'll be me. It'll be me and me uh, hanging and out. You can and feast on Welsh cakes. I don't even know what that is. So I think amazing. I think that's why you're fascinated, Kaylee, because maybe you just haven't met many Welsh people. Mm. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. I don't even know how I would spot one. <laughs> <laughs> we'll teach you. We'll Sheep. teach you one day. Um, I think the way we get a Luke Rowe interview is we just um, promise to start every question with, ah, oh, mate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so this is our goal. Is he going to the Tour de France? He, he wasn't at the Giro, so yeah. We should start a campaign. I literally, I got, I got um, like a text confirmation that he would do an interview, and then it has not materialised. So I, that's like one of the three things I need to tick off before I can sail into the sunset and get a real job. <laughs> so it was devastating. There's a devastating letdown. All right. Well, that's my. <laughs> I don't know why I wanted to talk about this on today's podcast, other than the video was funny this morning. I'm glad you did. Uh, but I, I, you know, I wanted to. And now I'm glad that we have. <laughs> so I'm going to move on. I'm, I'm going to sure move on to that. And we will, keep, we will keep people apprised of our uh, pursual of Luke Rowe throughout the month of July. <laughs> because I think at some point we will, we will have to get him on microphone. Uh, at the very least, we got to get an ah, mate. 
yeah. and then and then if he just wants to cut it off there then then we're fine yeah all right finally last last thing today uh some of you might have caught this on social media or if you are already a member you would have gotten an email about this um we're kicking off a kind of a special podcast here this week actually it is the unchained binge pod binge as in like you're binging the show for those that don't, don't know what i'm talking about that is the netflix tour de france docuseries that's coming out the sort of drive to survive docuseries that uh yeah it, it's, it's showing up shortly after we record this this episode and what we're going to do is there, there's going to be eight episodes of that series every single one of them is going to get its own podcast episode we're going to go super deep on it we're gonna it's going to be what at least the first couple are going to be uh me johnny kit and abby i believe and we might sub out sub it out a little bit but the idea is to go really really deep on these episodes you know johnny and i were there on the ground for the tour de france in question i think we'll be able to, be able to provide some context around some of the things that are happening you know we were seeing we were seeing what the cameras want, were pointed at basically uh and we're also just really intrigued by this as a as a television product that is i mean to be perfectly honest not really designed for us right like we're not necessarily the target but we want to kind of view it through both our lens and also you know kind of put ourselves in the shoes of of somebody who's maybe this is their first real interaction with the tour de france and we're gonna go super deep yeah we're gonna provide sort of the, some of the context around the controversies that pop up because we know that there will be a lot of those uh that's the way that these these netflix things operate we hope we can we can provide a bit of a, a bit of background on all this. So if if you're subscribed to the kind of main Escape Collective podcast channel, you will get this podcast. It's going to get show up probably probably twice a week until the Tour de France. If you want to binge it, like if you watch all eight episodes on Netflix and then you want to just listen to all eight episodes of the binge cast, then you, there's another channel just like all of our podcasts. There's a solo channel the Unchained Binge Pod channel. You can go get them all basically as fast as we can make them. <laughs> I think the goal is to have them all done like sometime next week, basically, uh, which is going to be a lot of TV watching for us and a lot of podcast making, but we're we're going we're gonna to go for it. I'm really excited about this. I, I said this on Geek Warning yesterday as well. It's like, I love making this podcast, but I have essentially been making a very similar podcast for like six years now. And this is totally outside of our, of our kind of normal wheelhouse. And I'm, I'm really excited about it. Kit, I know you're really excited about it because this is actually in your wheelhouse, right? Yeah. I'm really, 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 really excited. I'm surprising myself with how excited I am. Cause I, I almost exclusively listen now that I'm, I'm on a bunch of cycling podcasts. I tend to actually now exclusively listen to film and TV podcasts. Um, and, a few of the watch along things like the West Wing Weekly or um, one of my favorites is the rewatchable. So it's a, uh, yeah, I, I'm very much looking forward to talking about something that happens on a screen with you chaps. It'll be really fun. So either listen to it here as they come out or head over to the Unchained Binge Pod channel that is up on iTunes and Spotify already. It is coming to Google. We've submitted it. Google takes forever to get these things actually approved, but it'll be on the, the sort of Google Play podcast thing relatively soon. Uh, and yeah, I can't wait. It'll be really fun. Uh, something something different for us ahead of the Tour de France this year. 
how how close do you think we are to having more podcast channels than Luke Rowe interviews exist? <laughs> I think we, we might already that? be there. <laughs> this will be five, right? So getting close. Yeah, we're getting very close. We're getting very close. All right, that's it from us today. Hope you enjoyed today's episode of Placeholders. We will be back next week with another episode, and in the interim. You've got Wheel Talk, you've got Geek Warning, you've got Pretty Serious Bike Racing, and you've got the Unchained Binge Podcast. Go check them all out. Reminder, all of this is supported by our members. If you are not a member, you're not supporting us, kind of by definition. <laughs> Head over to escapecollective.com slash join. Join the party. It's, it's a good time. The grass is greener over here. And we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.